This is the part where I keep my fingers crossed. Oh, I have check marks. Hey, everyone. We're live. It's uh, David Barnett. Welcome. Welcome to the show, everyone. Um, we've got, uh, you know, over the next couple of minutes, people are going to start filtering in. Um, just before we started talking, uh, Giuseppe and I were talking about uh, vitamin D and everything because uh, you've decided that you've got a few pounds you want to shed now too, eh? Trying. Yeah. I've been uh, low in energy. It's been the winter months, so not too much sunshine. So vitamin D and, and working out and I have to say I'm feeling better. I haven't shed too much yet, but definitely feeling better and a lot more energy. Well, it, it makes a difference when you move. I'll tell you when, when it's a, a stormy day here and I don't get a chance to go out and do my, my lap mm. through the neighborhood, I, I really feel it. Um, today we're going to be talking all about franchises. I see people are starting to file in. The room is starting to become occupied. Uh, please remember everyone, remember everyone gives us, give us a thumbs up. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to play the introduction reel and uh, then we're going to get going. So today we're talking about franchises in the post COVID world. We've got Giuseppe Grammatico from ggthefranchiseguide.com and let me roll the intro. I'm David C. Barnett and you're tuned in to small business and deal making the podcast, YouTube channel and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Awesome. And I'll remind everyone who's tuning in to watch. Uh, if you put questions in the comments, we will be getting to them. Uh, towards the end, I'm going to start to do a Q&A session. So uh, put your comments and questions in there and we'll get to them as we move along. But I wanted to start off, uh, Giuseppe, just by asking you, you know, we're in we're in the spring now of 2022. The, we're two years past the big lockdowns and everything that happened back in 2020. And, you know, in that time, a lot of businesses, of uh, across many different categories, went through a really hard time. They, had right. to, they were mandated to close and all these public health orders came out and stuff. Since then, what have some of the trends been amongst franchising and franchises and the franchise brands? What, what have you noticed is different now than if we were having this conversation back in 2019? Yeah, well, I, I will say one thing, you know, a lot, you know, someone looking at a franchise right now has a major benefit because they can go back and say, not only, you know, how has the support been on the franchise, but what did the franchise companies do during COVID to really step up and, and help your business? So, um, you know, some of the stronger brands really stepped up and, and, and changed things, right? Offering additional support. We'll get into that, I, I think, later in the show. But as far as, far as trends go, uh, we've noticed quite a bit, uh, specifically in home services. Uh, people are at home, right? People are continuing to be at home, not just because they're stuck at home because of COVID, that's the new norm. People are like myself, I'm working from home. Others are, are maybe going into the office one day a week. So what happens when you're stuck at home? You start to look around and, and realize you need things like I'm looking, maybe I can, you know, get new paint on my walls or I need a new roof or, or landscaping. So there have been a lot of home franchise, uh, home service franchises that have done well and really been able to come in and offer multiple services to help the homeowner. Um, the other, and this is a big one is business coaching has been big because a lot of small businesses are not sure how to function as a business going forward. Do they want to, to pivot? Maybe they're still struggling and they need some change. So 
there are multiple uh, companies that offer business coaching and they also offer uh, their specific companies that can go in and actually reduce your expense at no cost to you unless there's a savings. So that that was pretty unique. And the last one is, and this is something I see with a huge uh, future is mental health. There, believe it or not, there are franchises around mental health. Really? Um, that, that can actually uh, help with uh, assisting with everything going on. Obviously, we've, we've been through COVID. That's been tough enough. And obviously now, you know, you, you watch the news and there's a war going on and, and everything else. So there are actually franchises that assist with mental health. And now uh, those with, have been with, three, yeah. when you say a franchise that has to do with mental health, like I can. Is, is this a franchise where it's for someone who is a psychologist or some kind of counselor that would get into this? I'm thinking of like a, you know, certain franchise pharmacy chains, right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, the owner is a pharmacist, right? And they, they run the counter back there. But uh, is this something where you're talking about practitioners from the industry buying a franchise so that they can uh, better operate their business? Or is this a franchise system being sold to anyone who just has an interest in getting into this category? Uh, it could be both, but pre predominantly it's been people that have an interest that are able to hire and bring on practitioners, uh, to really assist and offer people that extra help and whether it be a daily call or weekly call. So we, they, they have, they, they basically, it could work on both models, but it's mostly people bringing in the practitioners. Okay. Uh, well, uh, that's interesting. And, and I, and I guess it just leans to the creativity that, you know, is out there that someone thought that they could take that kind of model and turn it into a franchise. Is, is, is it fairly new? I mean, you're saying it's trending now, but is this a brand new kind of thing? Uh, business has been around since uh, I believe 2015 and just started franchising in uh, 2021. So, uh, so business has been around just uh, if it has evolved via franchise in the past year or so. Okay. So maybe obviously they're probably capitalizing on the fact that they've seen that there's been a growth in demand for this sort of thing. Yes. And it's a, it's a different way. You know, what we talk about franchising and different ways to expand your business. So they, they felt this was the avenue to really kind of blow it out across the country and, and offer it in all 50 states. Okay. So well, let, let's, I wanted to talk a little bit today about um, what you kind of get to look at when you're looking at a franchise opportunity, because right. Everyone knows, or most people have heard that there's something called a franchise agreement. It's a contract between the franchisee and the franchisor that says what, what happens in this business. But when someone is looking at a franchise opportunity, that's not the only document. In, in fact, that document forms part of another document, which is uh, called the FDD or the franchise disclosure document. Right. Can you take us through that a little bit and talk about the different things that are in there maybe besides the franchise agreement? Right. So the franchise disclosure document, a document is what you receive first. We call it an FDD. And um, really that that's 23 items. It covers everything from who owns the business. It has lawsuits, whether uh, the franchisor has been sued or if they sued somebody else, everything has to be disclosed in there. So there's full transparency. There's a huge financial section, you know, audited financials going through just the past, I think it's the, the last three years, going through the financials of, of the uh, corporate office. Um, there's, uh, you know, I'm not going to go through each and every single item, but item seven is a popular one. It's an it's a itemized investment range of uh, what your investment may be. And it's typically a, a large range because in many franchises, you have options of leasing versus buying, you know, mm -hmm. you need an office. Are you, are you, um, 
going to work from home. So there's different options. So they itemize what to expect in that franchise. And obviously if there's rent involved, it's going to vary the pace uh, depending on where you live. And then there's the famous item 19, which is what they uh, were calling the earnings claim. And not every FDD offers an earnings claim, but it'll give you an average range. And again, it's going to vary from company to company, but um, it may be average first year, average three year. It may be the average top 10 franchisees, what they're making, but they will itemize, itemize that list and kind of give you an idea of what the average franchise owner is making. So um, lots of sections there from, from that agreement. Once you get closer to actually making that decision, then they actually send you the agreement, which is customized for you, which will include your uh, legal entity. If you're going to buy it under just say an LLC or an S corp, um, it'll put in there any other modifications, if there's any, any other change or amendments, and it would also include your specific territory, the zip codes and everything else involved, uh, included. So I always say it's, it's, it's black and white. You have everything included and that's what you're going to be signing off on. You, you say that not every FDD has a section 19. Is it, what, what do you notice about the franchise brands that include it? Is it that they're, they have a greater number of units in the field or maybe more time under their belt to give them more data to present what, or, or is there really any kind of, uh, characteristic of these ones that, that choose to do that. Right. So a couple things. So one, I, I know one established franchise brand we work with, uh, remove that because they've changed their business model from an in-person to virtual, which really changed things up. So they put a hold on the, uh, uh, earnings claim until they had a year to really kind of follow through with the model. Others are emerging. They're still pretty new and they don't have enough data in order to be comfortable giving that earnings claim. They're more comfortable kind of giving you that pro forma as to what your profit margins are and things like that. And then others that are emerging that do offer the claim, you know, they sometimes it's just this is what our top. Uh, I'm sorry. This is what our corporate offices have done, because most of our franchisees are under a year. So it'll give you an idea of what the corporate office does. And then every year when that agreement is updated, it will give you you know, up to date information and financials, which is typically around this time. It's typically every around April, May of every year, the FDDs are uh, updated with the financials and any changes from the previous year. Yeah. And, and, and so sometimes people reach out to me and they actually hire me to, to read these with them um, just because they want another point of view. And one of the sections of the FDD that I find very interesting is, um, and I don't know what section number it would normally be, but it talks about the number of locations that are currently operating, the number that right. are closed. Um, and there's also contact information in there too, sometimes where you, so you can reach out and talk to other franchisees. Yes. And that's, and that's actually, uh, that's towards the end of the process. So once you've spoken with the franchise company, have the franchise agreement and really understand the business model, not just, okay, they produce X, Y, Z, but really what's the um, you know, the role of the franchisee, what are they doing on a daily basis? Now that you've been really informed is when you actually go out and speak with franchise owners and it may be group calls. It may be there's uh, pre-recorded calls or they'll give you a list of franchise owners to contact, but yes, it's, you'll have, uh, existing franchisees and previous, uh, franchise owners. Well, so when somebody decides that they're going to, to enter into one of these agreements and you, you talked about how the customized contract comes out, let's say they execute it, they, they pay the fees that are required. What typically then does the timeline look like as far as, okay, now I have my signed agreement, what happens next? 
Yeah. So typically it's, it's, you dive right into training, um, in a service based business where there's really no real estate, maybe there's some equipment uh, to be ordered or, or vehicles, they'll start getting you training, order you the equipment, um, so that you can hire your employees, bring them to training as well and just get up and running. And you could be up and running as little as 60 days with some of these service-based businesses. It may be 90. It all depends on the equipment and obviously your, your first hires and the uh, next available training class, but you're up and running relatively quickly. And it's, it's similar on the, on the brick and mortar side. You have, you have training, you're going to hire employees. It's going to take you a little bit longer. I would estimate at least six to 12 months to get up and running after you find the location gets approved by corporate the permits, the build outs, you know, so there's, there's a lot more that goes along with it, but typically it's let, let's get trained. Let's get your key employees, um, trained, hired and ready to go. So they don't, they don't like to waste any time. They want you up and running, um, as soon as possible. We had Kevin joining us from central Florida. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? It's hey, uh, Kevin. It's always sunny in Lakeland. That's where Kevin lives. <laughs> uh, the, um, so, so, We've been hearing a lot in the news about problems with, you know, words like supply chain and, and all this other kind of stuff. Have you seen some of your clients recently run into problems with obtaining things like equipment and, and furnishings and equipment to, to try to meet those timelines for opening up new locations? Yeah, so they're, they're, it's, it's affected everyone, right? I'd, I'd be lying if I said no. So sure, the um, couple, yeah. so a couple things. Funding SBA loans were taking a little bit longer to get approved. Government was was uh, was backed up here in the states. Um, equipment taking a little bit longer, possibly extending an extra thirty days. Uh, things are getting definitely much much uh, better from the feedback I'm hearing. But there have been delays with getting equipment, getting vehicles, which has also been a challenge. But we've definitely seen some improvements there. And uh, overall costs in, in some cases. We've seen, you know, build outs of a brand new location where costs have gone up uh, or delays. So sometimes it's not a direct cost where maybe the, the quote is exactly the same. But instead of opening up three months from now, maybe it's four or five months because the contractor may have just been, um, you know, light on employees or just does not have the, the manpower in order to get the job done. So, um, you know, we were talking about the FDD and if you're looking at a franchise and just say, you know, January, February, March of 2022, it will have uh, 2020 numbers. So now the benefit now of, of signing a new agreement will have the 2021. And you can see if there's been a, an uptick as far as trends in, in what your overall investment will be. But we have noticed some delays, uh, both in equipment and opening up and some additional costs or rising costs, both in material um, I know here, you know, minimum wage and, and, and salaries and things like that are going up. So yeah, there, there's definitely been an uptick in um, increases across the board in, in pricing and, and in the investment. Well, so so this is this is great because I mean, and and yeah, we we've heard about all these topics, you know, labor shortages mm -hmm. and, and and all kinds of things, delays in right. construction. So if someone is looking at that FDD document and it's telling them in Section Seven that the average location, you know, maybe costs. 300 grand to build and, you know, it takes four months. Somebody could assume it's going to take more, it's going to take longer. It, is it really, I mean, the reason for that franchise disclosure document is to inform the investor of what it is that they're going to have to spend. Right. Um, and really, well, I guess what I'm hearing is that even though you have that disclosure in front of you, it might still make sense to go and talk with someone like a contractor or, or someone 
just to go and validate to make sure that these numbers are still in line because some of the costs of things have gone up quite substantially in the last two years. Yeah, things change. I mean, six months ago, things were different. So absolutely. Um, just because you have those ranges, it'll stay in there. You want to go and, and find a contractor and make sure that the, uh, the pricing is in line. And sometimes the franchise uh, company will recommend a contractor that assists across the country. So you have that added benefit. But as a you know, aspiring franchisee, you can also go back to franchisees that opened up in 2021 and, and validate and speak with them and just say, hey, by the way, I know this is kind of an estimate of we'll just throw a number out 200,000. Was that the case for you or did you did you experience an increase? So um, you do. So not only do you have speaking with the franchise company in the agreement, you can speak with these franchisees, validate and just check on. You know, I want to talk to maybe two franchise owners in the past that that opened up in 2021. Let me let me pick their brain and see what what costs were. See, so yeah, absolutely. You do have that. Uh, ability to, to speak with those people. Yeah. The, the other thing, and, and, and this is just from some experience in talking with people over the years, the other thing too, to be aware of, especially if you're talking with someone who's in a, a newer franchise system that doesn't have uh, a tremendous number of locations, or maybe mm -hmm. they aren't across you know many states. Right. If you're going into a new market with that franchise um, and you're talking with some of the other location owners, um, it's worthwhile spending some time with a local contractor just to figure out if what they're building in other places is even doable where you are. Because I've heard stories of people where the franchise wants to have like uh, two bathrooms, right? but then they learn that where they are, there's going to have to be at least three because of the layout and mm -hmm. you know, two of them have to be wheelchair accessible. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the proposed plan that every other franchise location have just doesn't work in that new locale because of the local regulations that they happen to have in that area. And, and, and yeah. so this is the kind of thing that you need to investigate um, because once you sign the agreement and you pay your franchise fees, if you learn these kinds of things afterwards, it's really, there's a limit to what can, what can happen, right? I mean, there's not many options, you know, to sort of back out of the deal, is there? Yeah, tip, so to, to your point, definitely do your homework. Um, the franchisor is not going to be the expert in every every state, right? And, and things change with with permits and requirements and things like that. So 100% agree. You want to speak with one or two contractors, get a second opinion. Um, when buying a franchise, um, you know, you, you buy it uh, for whatever reason, it's not working out of the cost. Obviously, you have the option to sell that business. Um, but by buying a franchise, keep in mind that they are opening up the doors to their entire uh, system, right? So they're giving you all their system, the, the manuals, mm -hmm. all the trade secrets and everything that, you know, everything they, that makes them different, that kind of that differentiator. So, uh, but yes, if this, this is actually a question I received today, I noticed that there's a 10 year agreement, which is, which is pretty common. I've seen five, I've seen 20 years, but 10 seems to be a sweet spot there. What happens in two years if I want to sell my business for whatever reason? And I said, you're, you're able to, to sell your business. What I recommend is go right to the franchisor, ask for their, um, what your options are, because sometimes they may have predetermined agreements with brokers or you're able just to sell it out on your own, uh, but speak with them. But you are able to sell your business at any point, um, even if you, know, you bought two locations, you opened up one and are happy with the one, don't want the second one feel like it's going to be too much in your plate, you're able to sell that that license for someone to potentially open up in that area. So 
It is yeah. like any other business. Well, listen, I've, I've, I've actually done some work with some franchise systems before um, who were trying to address the issue of the buy and sell of existing locations. And I can tell you that the last thing a franchisor wants is to add another location into the you know closed unit section of their FDD. Mm-hmm. And so right. they're eager to make sure that locations can have a long and successful life because that helps. Having strong, successful locations within the network helps them sell more units and, and to grow the network. And so oftentimes when people decide that it's time to sell, they'll go to the franchisor um, who will, you know, they have a marketing department for mm-hmm. selling new locations. And often they will adopt some kind of process or system mm-hmm. for people that want to resell. And sometimes people approach a franchise system with a view of opening a new location. Then they, they back off and they like, well, you know, I don't know if I want to open a new one. But if presented with an opportunity to take over an existing location that has a track record, sometimes those people will want to step forward. So I've had people in other franchise networks report to the franchisor that they wanted to sell, and they've been introduced by people who've looked at that network before but decided not to buy and then ended up becoming the buyer for those resale locations. So, And and obviously the franchisor is going to have to approve of anyone who ends up buying anyway. So you need to involve... The, the franchisor as early as pro, as possible in that process. Right. The, the franchisor wants to make sure you understand the opportunity, what's included, what the support looks like. So absolutely. So you'll be given that FDD. You'll probably have to go through training if you're not part of that system already. And trends that I've noticed, we talked about COVID and this is this has nothing to do with COVID, but just, just trends I've seen more and more is that um, neighbors are just by each other out right? As an expansion. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't even get to the, to the broker level. They'll just say, you know what, I'm thinking of retiring. Would you buy me out? Or I'm thinking of expanding. Would you, would you be open to selling? So we've seen that. So the, the businesses, the, the transaction is done before we even see any listing. Um, and, uh, you know, it just keeps it simpler. There's less training, there's less costs involved, and they can just pick up from where the, uh, the franchisee left off. So uh, that's been very common. Um, you know, speaking of franchisees acquiring other franchises and, and, and whatnot, before the call, you mentioned that there was another trend that you were seeing of franchisors uh, of buying other franchise brands and then integrating them all into the same systems to make it easier for franchisees to expand. Why don't you ex- to give us a little bit about information on that? Yeah, so we've seen a lot of parent companies, so maybe a home service brand or a um, boutique fitness where they require small, not a big gym, but maybe 20, 30 people in a class. And some of the larger brands are just acquiring, you know, they may have five, six, 10 different brands where they all have something to do with home service. They all kind of complement one another. And we've seen trends there because they are able to really um, help the franchise owners with one integrated CRM for all 10 brands, uh, even the training, initial training is the same for everyone until they're able to, to get up and running. And then they get into their, the various modalities. So if it's boutique fitness, then, you know, the initial training may be the same and then they get into, uh, cycling or they get into running or or rowing or, or whatever the modality is. So we've seen that. And what happens is it's keeping the costs low for everyone, for the franchise or as well as the franchisee, the companies are, are now bringing things in house such as call centers, such as all their turnkey marketing. We, we've had franchisors just buy, just openly buy out a marketing online marketing company and digital agency and bring it in-house so that it's all under one roof. So that if you are a franchisee with one brand or 10 brands, 
you're, you're using the, the exact same platform. So it makes training easier. You can get through training much quicker. You are able to expand your business instead of buying more territory with a mosquito spraying franchise. You can keep that, that original territory and what we call stack and, and add different brands like, um, uh, residential cleaning or residential painting where it's like, okay, I have the same, uh, customer, the, the same clients, the, the homeowner, and now I can add additional services. They're already happy. I already have a, an established relationship. So it makes it easier to expand while reducing the, the client acquisition cost. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, when you think about that, when you think, okay, I'm going to be a franchisee and I'm going to have a certain business and then there's going to be these other franchises available to me. You know, the, 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 the cynical voice in my head says, oh, they're going to come up with new franchises to sell me that I'm going to have to buy. But in reality, what you're talking about, when you talk about those, those synergies, mm -hmm. I remember when I was, uh, when I had a business brokerage office, it was a franchise right. location. And, and in the book I wrote back in 2015, Franchise Warnings, I talk about figure out what you get for the fee you pay, mm -hmm. right? And when I had that franchise business brokerage office, they were giving me access to all these big online business for sale marketplaces. They gave me a CRM system. They All of these different things I had access to. Um, and if I were to go out there as an independent business brokerage and buy all those things myself, it would have cost me more every month. Right. So I was actually taking advantage of efficiencies of scale. And if that franchise or can buy a digital uh, marketing agency that then does the work for three of their brands, it mm -hmm. means that the cost structure being borne by one particular channel, one particular silo of those brands is reduced. Right. And so it, it could make it easier for, for you to come to the conclusion that what you get for the fees you're paying is, is a good value for you as a unit holder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the econ economies of scale are huge. We've, we've had people that had a painting business converted into a franchise. There's a fee and there's a royalty, but they're taking a lot of the you know the stuff off their their plate. They're getting their materials at a much uh, lower cost. So just a transition alone has been saving them money. And and, and one other thing about the additional uh, brands, you don't have to add the additional brands. You could be content with the one brand in your territory and, and be just fine. The added benefit to you is if there is another franchise owner in your hometown and you're offering mosquito spraying and they're offering residential cleaning, they can potentially refer you additional business because you're in the same area. You're both marketing. So if they have someone that they're talking to and say, Hey, do you offer mosquito spraying? And they said, well, we don't offer it directly, but our, our, our company does. Why don't you talk to, uh, you know, David Barnett? Um, that's a, 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 an easy way to acquire new, new customers and, and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you work within a, a system where only certain franchises are able to be offered uh, in, in your shop, correct? Correct. And so what are some of the, the, the main characteristics that you guys look for in vetting one of these franchise brands to decide whether or not you're going to represent them to potential uh, investors? Yeah. So um, the company I'm affiliated with is Franchise. They're one of the first franchise consulting companies. And what they do is they will do a pre-screen. Now, this pre-screen, before I mention what goes into the pre-screen, is it's not taking the due diligence off your plate. So if we're going to work with a company, it has to pass the screen. So the screen is a combination of they will look, review the franchise agreement, make sure there is an agreement in place, 
And uh, they'll look at the legal section, making sure that there's not a hundred different lawsuits uh, that took place in the last couple of years. They'll meet and speak with management. They will do random calls and checks to franchisees. You know, you're hearing it. Let, let's go right, right to the source. Are you happy? Are you getting support? Is there, is there a, um, a structure in place as this company expands to support you? Uh, they'll talk to the, to the uh, founders of the company to see, okay, what is your plan? You're at 50 franchises. How do you plan to get to a hundred? What are you going to be adding to the infrastructure? So they'll do an interview. And if it does pass the screen, uh, then they are allowed um, as far as an approved vendor, approved franchise in our system. So we don't work uh, with every uh, franchise brand because of that. And others, full disclosure, other brands decide that they just don't want to work with any organizations and, and do it in-house. So that's uh, mm. that's kind of the two two different scenarios. Would a minimum number of locations be one of those criteria? I uh, there is uh, actually it is the criteria. I don't know the number, but yes. Yeah. Okay. Because one of the one of the things that I've noticed over the course of the last few years is it seems like there are a lot of these brand new franchise systems that come out that, mm. um, you know, I'll tell you a fun story. Um, I was asked two weeks ago to read an FDD for a franchise opportunity for mm. on behalf of a lady. And I read it and I saw something in there I've never seen in one of these things before. And that was that there was an, <clears throat> a sales target, a certain obligation. And if she did not hit the sales target after 12 months, she had to pay a penalty. So, so basically the franchisor's earnings on their projection for her were guaranteed. Right. Either she would make the sales or she would be out of pocket that money. And I've seen um, franchise agreements before where maybe people had, <clears throat> you know, like a three-year window to open three locations or something. Mm -hmm. And if they failed to do that, they simply lost the ability. They simply lost certain rights. But I, I've never seen before a situation where if someone didn't perform, they had to go into their own pocket and, and like compensate the franchisor. Have you ever seen anything like that before? I've seen, you know, for the most part, franchise, it's a percentage of revenue is a royalty yeah. you're paying. Uh, I've seen, I don't know if it's an uptick, but I've seen some other brands where they'll have a minimum royalty. So it's not a percentage but you know you're going to pay 500 bucks a month or whatever the, the amount is on the first year. Um, as far as the penalty, I, I have not seen that. We don't review a lot of FDDs. We, we ask the questions, uh, but that's part of the due diligence in, in making that decision. If you're truly not comfortable with that, you have the right. Everyone has the right. I don't, I don't care who you are, but you have the right to uh, amend that. And if they're not willing, it's up to you if you want to move forward. And that's the beauty, mm -hmm. right? Not every franchise, as you mentioned, has is is created uh, equally, but you do have the right to ask why. Why is this in here? Um, can they amend that? I will say this: when you talk about trends, franchise companies are. You know, we talk about being awarded a, a franchise, and some people say, "Well, as long as I have the money, they're gonna they're gonna accept me." So my response to that is they they really want you to be a partner, right? You're you're an extension of their brand, and they are asking now, and I've seen this more and more often, they want you to make the case. If you're going to buy 10 locations, they're going to come back and say, well, how do you plan on opening these locations? Because the worst thing the franchisor can do is award you 10, you open up two, and then the other eight just kind of fall to the wayside. So uh, we've seen cases where they'll say, we will do four initially, see how things go before we have, uh, award any additional, because there have been stories where people just 
they decide it's an emerging brand. Maybe they can get some more territory. They took advantage of, of that deal and then never open up. So um, I say when doing your due diligence, be prepared to give a business plan to the franchise or if it's something larger, like four or five mm. plus uh, territories or locations. It's, it's interesting. About 10 years ago, I was approached by someone who was trying to build and develop a franchise network. And they, they were coming to me for advice. And I was saying, the biggest piece of advice I could give you is be very choosy about your first mm -hmm. franchisees and make sure that yes. you pick people who are going to be successful and that you create the circumstances to allow them to be successful because every other person that comes later <clears throat> is going to be looking at those first people. Right. And, yeah. and uh, they didn't do that. What they did is they took <laughs> anyone who had the money and, and then they ended up very sh in very short order with problems because they, some of their operators were not, not the right people. And, right. and, and the whole thing just kind of like, it was growing rapidly and then just fizzled and faded. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there, there's, um, there was a tweet that I saw, um, about Quiznos. Remember Quiznos? Yeah. You know, at one point they had thousands of locations yeah. and now I think they're down to just a few hundred. And so, you know, sometimes there are these really rapidly growing success stories. Right. Um, and then, and then the tide, you know, sort of turns what, have you noticed any kind of cat? We talked about what the rising stars were of, of the last couple of years. Have you noticed any categories that are really on the wane or, or maybe categories where you're just not seeing much uh, inquiry anymore? Uh, food, food has been uh, less and less it's retail and with the rising costs and the fluctuating costs and, and lower margins. I've, I've been getting, I'm not saying I don't recommend food, right? But it, it's just a lot of people when they submit, we, we ask everyone for a questionnaire, they'll say, I'll look at anything except for food. And that's extremely yeah. common just because, you know, once they get educated on what's out there, they're like, wow, I have more options than Quiznos and Subway and McDonald's. And again, not a knock at those brands, but they don't realize there are franchises and employment services. And franchises and mosquito spraying and, and, and business coaching and, and just about everything else. So I think once they, um, you know, realize that there's a lot more out there at a much lower investment, it, it basically opens up their eyes. But, um, yeah, I think to your point, the franchise, the franchise company has to really have a, a ideal franchise, uh, kind of an avatar. Mm -hmm. Some, some will say some, some of uh, the better brands will say you need to be full-time in the business as an owner operator. Regardless if you like it or not, if, if you cannot, if you cannot be full time for the first six to 12 months, we will not accept you. And I applaud that because they know exactly what it takes to be successful in that specific brand. Others will come back and say, we have a program to be an owner operator full time, or you can keep your job and be semi absentee. And we'll have a, a training program for that. So you can train a general manager. You'll be trained in the same ways in the event that person were to leave. So um, I applaud the franchise companies because they really, you know, if, if anything, they prefer you to buy, buy whatever the brand is and expand, right? You know, the system you've done well, you've been successful. So why not expand? They actually make less money versus someone buying a new franchise, but they know that you'll be great to work with your experience. You've done really well. And the franchise, the franchisor will make money as you make money, which is as you expand and your revenue grows they'll get a percent, typically a percentage of that revenue. So um, that's what, you know, they, they want a smaller number and, and for franchise on, franchisees to buy more than one brand or, or territory. Not, not, it's not mandatory, but that's what they would prefer.
You know, it's it's interesting when you say, you know, people are saying I'll buy anything but food. Um, I, I remember that I had many conversations with <clears throat> prospective business buyers over the years. And when we started and, and, and some of them would say that to me, too, no food. Right. And when I started to explore more with them, what was behind that no food thing, what I began to realize and that I pointed out to some people is that they weren't really against food. They were against businesses that had these long hours. Right. And so businesses that are open into the nighttime or on the weekends or whatnot. And, and I really you can I think you can categorize a lot of businesses into the office hour businesses mm -hmm. and then the ones that are have more uh, broad hours right. service industry throughout the, the evenings and weekends, and everything like that, even holidays. Um, and it makes a big difference because people who are in a business who um, are only working business hours, even in that first year, you know, Giuseppe, they know they got Christmas off. Right. right? And, 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 and that is a big deal to some people. Um, I know that uh, here in Canada, there's a, there's a breakfast franchise mm -hmm. and it's a food franchise, but one of the big uh, reasons that it is so popular amongst franchisees is that they close all the locations close at three in the afternoon. So they, oh, they're wow. open for breakfast and lunch and then they close. Right. And so it's, it's, it gets away from that whole, well, what about the evening? And they have an easier time recruiting employees too, because the employees know right. that they never have to work at night, right? And so, interesting. Um, I've I seen people watching. Please give us a thumbs up if you would. Um, and if anyone has any questions for Giuseppe, uh, please throw them into the comments. More than happy to take some questions. Um, why don't you tell us about some of uh, your more recent uh, client success stories? Have um, are there some people that you've helped out in the last year or so that are really knocking it out of the park? Yeah, we, we've worked with quite a few families. Uh, we spent a lot of time, you know, I make it mandatory. I want everyone on those on those calls, everyone affected by the business. And yeah, we we touch base. We always follow up to make sure that they're happy with the franchise. What um, what does training look like? Is it did it meet your expectation, exceed your expectation? So we've had some really good success stories. Uh, one gentleman in particular invested in a restoration bi uh, type business. Uh, while keeping his job, right? They say that it's very hard to juggle both. And there are certain systems in particular, this, this one uh, system, I won't name names, but um, where the franchisor actually goes out and helps you find that general manager. That's the key employee. Oh, and wow. he's been, in, yeah, they'll, they'll actually not just give you kind of, you know, this is who you should hire. They'll actually assist with the hiring. You'll have final say. And he's done well. He's, he's grown the business. Um, he's hired some family. He's expanded while being able to keep his job, uh, he's done really well and just uh, has expanded. He owns, uh, I believe now, uh, four territories for this particular uh, franchise. And he said, um, you know, in the very beginning, the hours were a little bit longer. And I said, well, why are you working so many hours? And we, we came to the realization that that person really needed to empower his employees. He had to kind of had a you know, make, make final decision just about on everything. So when he realized he can empower his, empl his employees and maybe not on every issue, um, he was able to really step back from the business and really work on it versus in it, which we all talk about and really kind of see the big picture He's talking about potentially expanding, whether that be with additional territories or brands, but, um, it's a real, success story of someone that really, you know, kept his job, was able to do both and now it continues to have the job and his full ben benefits and is able to expand this business. And potentially uh, he's talking about maybe selling it in the next couple of years for a nice profit. Hmm. 
When when you and I first met, I remember that one of the things that you had said to me is that one of your primary uh, client groups were people that were sort of that C, those C-suite mm-hmm. executives that right. wanted to get out of, you know, the the high stress corporate world. Right. Um, has that changed at all with with the you know COVID and working from home and that kind of thing, or is it the same category of people that are coming to see you, or have things changed for them because they're maybe working at home sometimes? Yeah, they're, they're still contacting us. Um, even working from home, they're just not fulfilled, not happy. And, and to be quite honest, they don't know what their, the, the future holds for them. Um, where we've seen a, a huge uptick is uh, people that maybe aren't that high up in level where they've been working a few years out of college and they're noticing, I don't know if I want to go down this path. So it's people that are maybe a little bit early in the process where they want to be more educated and not really look at brands and not at that point, but just educated as to what a franchise is. Uh, I answer questions, which sometimes you assume people know things and you have to take a step back and, and really educate and, and know the audience and talk things about, you know, a franchise is just like any business. There's a risk. I tell everyone this just because it's a franchise does not mean you can't lose money. And I'm very clear. I, I make sure to, you know, have them spend time reviewing the pro form and the financials. So uh, we're very, very thorough in the, in the questions that we provide each of our, our candidates. Uh, but yeah, you have a lot of people that are thinking about it. So maybe they'll come back every in the, in the next year or two when things are a little bit better financially, a little bit more stable. Uh, but yeah, still have the, the same C-suite um, corporate execs calling me. If anything, there's been an uptick, uh, uptick also on current business owners that are either looking for an exit strategy, maybe even looking, as I mentioned before, converting their business and taking advantage of the systems in place because they may be great painters, but they're not good business people. They don't know how to, you know, return a phone call, <laughs> you know, have the marketing automated and things like that. So we, well, we listen, together. that is a real thing. I was in, um, in Florida just before the lockdowns in 2020 and I was attending a conference for in an epoxy floor company, a franchise system. Okay. And I met someone who had been in the epoxy floor business and decided to join. And it was for a couple of different reasons. But I said, you know, what were the reasons why you decided to do this? And basically, it came down to two things. It was supplies and costs. So they were actually going to save money mm-hmm. through the purchasing made available through the franchise network. But the other thing was that the franchisor was handling all of the online, digital, social media, marketing, advertising, all that kind of stuff, which they admitted that they really struggled with figuring right. out on their own. And while they were good at doing the flooring, uh, they weren't very good at all that other stuff. And so that's why they had decided to sign on. We have um, we have a question here from uh, a doodle alarm. I'm looking into the water restoration business as well. Any recommendations on specific companies or things to look out for, for water restoration? That's a great question. And uh, there are a lot of options. So, you know, when, when, I always take a step back and figure out why why that specific business. You want to make sure that it, it is a good fit as far as your skill set, what you're doing on a daily basis. But uh, one thing to, to keep in mind when doing your due diligence is that there are water restoration franchises. That's all they do. They just do the the restoration. They'll take the water out, rip out the, uh, the sheetrock, the uh, insulation, mold, and things like that. And then a, another contractor, another business will come in and do the rebuilds. And there are other franchises that like um, uh, essentially handle both. They'll do they'll right. do the rip out and they'll do the rebuild. Those are much higher in cost. 
Um, a lot of those uh, companies are, are well established and there's less and less territory. But um, I would I would ask questions like revenue streams. There are brands that we work with that don't just do water damage. They do crime scene cleanup. Believe it or not, they do biohazard cleanup, um, anything to do with mold. Um, I was in the cleaning business for, for many, many years. And once you, you, you said the word mold, we had to take a step back and a, and a restoration type of business would have to come in. And boy, was that expensive. And they got to work with the insurance company. Hey, as soon as you need guys with masks, masks that's it. I, I would not put my, my uh, contractors or employees in harm's way, but it, it, I would just look at what they were charging. And I said, well, I'm on the wrong side of the business. I need to, I need to switch over. But I would spend some time and, and figure out what's the role. Not every business, just because the end service is the same doesn't mean your role is going to be the same. So some businesses mm -hmm. may require you to be going out there and, and cleaning mold. Others are more executive where they'll say, this is a team you need to hire. They, don't, they do not want you doing any of the actual work. So uh, more than glad to help if you have any additional questions, but definitely can arm you with some, uh, some good questions to ask. My, my comment here would be um, to understand, uh, understand who's paying you. So what, what is happening, like, obviously if somebody has some kind of flood or something, there, there may be an insurance claim at play. Right. And so you want to understand, are you building individual insurance companies or is it a market in which increasingly these intermediary uh, companies are, are sort of acting between mm -hmm. insurance and the supplier. And, and the reason why this is important is because these companies can deliver a lot of work to you, right. but as they take more and more of this insurance company trade, of course, what their big aim is to do is to squeeze margins. And so have an understanding of who is paying you and what that, that space looks like. Is it very fragmented? Are you dealing with hundreds of insurance companies? Or are these intermediary operators, um, and I forget, there's a term for them, obviously, but um, they sort of uh, coalesce or agglomerate uh, a lot of the transactions. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that here in Canada, in the auto insurance space, this is becoming big, where there are just a handful now of these right. companies that are kind of sort of managing all of the, uh, all the insurance payments. Mm -hmm. And so increasingly these local independent operators have to align themselves in one way or another, or they, they risk being squeezed out of, of some of the work that they've been doing. Yeah, there, there's, yeah, I, I can add to that. There's, there's a long list of questions, but to your point, right. Do you bring in the referrals at a local level or the national account or insurance level? But the other thing is when you're investing in this business, you need to have some, you need to have cash reserve because a lot of the insurance companies are paying 30, 60, 90 days out. So you may be paying your employees when the job was done and getting paid 90 days later. So you need to factor that into your pro forma. Um, got a great question here from uh, Yanni, Yanel. Uh, what are the typical valuation multiples within the franchise space? Does it vary by industry? How does one best achieve margin expansion within the franchise model given an already established brand? That's a great question. And, uh, and I'll answer it. So yeah, it does vary by industry. So obviously a restoration franchise brand is going to be a different multiple than a food service brand, just like they would be for independent businesses. What, what I, you know, people like to talk about, oh, there's an established brand. Oh, there's systems. Oh, there's this. Oh, there's that. And what I always like to say is that if those things hold value, they're going to deliver on the bottom line. Right. And so um, it's not necessarily that 
Um, you know, the multiplier will change. Uh, in some instances, you can find data that supports that, that, you know, uh, a pizza franchise will sell for a higher multiple than independent pizzerias. You can find that data. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually not an incredibly different margin. But what I would say is that if you're part of a national chain and they're doing like television and radio and all this cool online advertising and stuff, that should be translating into more sales and more earnings. Right. And so it's it's the number being multiplied that should be benefiting from those those advantages that might accrue from a franchise brand. Yep. And and we did a whole actually we did a whole show on exit strategies not too long ago, which is uh one of our top downloaded uh, shows and again you know it's going to vary industry volume there's so many different factors but also the multiple on what number that's the thing a lot of people don't talk about so if you're the owner operator uh, i know i sold my business and person coming in saying what was your role do i have to replace you if you were an owner which i was not i was semi-absentee but if i was running the entire business they would have to back out some money to replace me you know, if I was making a hundred thousand, maybe the manager was only going to get fifty thousand as a replacement, right. and then what was left over, the multiple was on that. So we could definitely spend a lot of time on that, but uh, you answered it perfectly. Well, well, this I, I'm just realizing that we're getting up here to the end of our time, um, and so I want to ask you if if somebody's out there thinking about and and you know I. I've always been a big proponent of buying an existing business because you always have, already have sales and you've already got you know employees in place and all that kind of stuff. And where uh, I've actually in my own past helped people buy franchises mm-hmm. is usually because they've they've looked around for something to buy, they haven't found anything that suits them, and then they think, well, maybe I should be starting a business. And then they think, well, I don't really know a whole lot about these different business types that I want to get into. And then oftentimes they'll come across the idea, maybe I should be looking at one of these franchise systems. So if somebody's sort of exploring those opportunities and they want to reach out and talk with you, Giuseppe, what's the way that they can reach out and find you? And, and who are you helping? What, what areas are you serving geographically? Yeah. So um, you can go right on the website. So it's my initials because the name is very hard to spell and long. So it's (laughs) GG, my initials at gg the franchise guide that's g-u-i-d-e.com so gg at gg the franchise guide you can listen to my podcast uh, download our, our book franchise freedom we do daily posts we have uh blogs you name it so and all it, it basically it's a learning center it, it's education owning a business isn't for everyone franchising isn't for everyone as we talk about all the time so uh but what i do is i, I really help people figure out what they're looking to accomplish and if a business is a good fit. And we, we do that on a 20 minute introductory call where we call it a right fit call, a right fit meaning, are we a right fit to work together? And is franchising the right fit? Because sometimes that system in place sounds really good, but you really want to create everything from scratch. And that's the beauty. There's no right or wrong answer. It's really what is the best fit for you? And uh, so we don't push franchising. We talk about startup versus, I just did a post uh, startup versus a franchise. Uh, what are the pros and cons to both of the differences? But, um, you know, what one thing to figure out is, do you want a system built for you that you can run almost immediately, literally sign a franchise agreement, be up and running in 60 to 90 days, um, where are you just more concerned about the outcome system in place so that you can experience more time and financial freedom? Or is it more important to you to, create everything from scratch from A to Z. That's the uh, the part you need to figure out. And I'll be more than glad uh, to help anyone that is 
on the fence, maybe not certain. And uh, best part, there's no charge for our service. Uh, we are similar uh, in structure to a uh, executive recruiter. So there's no fee. We are paid directly from the franchise company. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Giuseppe. It's great to see you again. And awesome. uh, and and for everyone out there, the name of your podcast, if they want to go searching for it on podcast players, is Franchise Freedom, correct? Podcast and book, both Franchise Freedom. We kept it simple. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I've been there on, as a guest a few times, and I've listened to several Three episodes. Times. It's a great yeah. show. Um, you do a great job. And uh, with that, we'll say see you later. And um, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for having me. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. You can learn more about my books and the online courses that I've prepared for you. You can find out about how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlist, etc. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest. Special thanks go out to Jeff Alpaw Customs for being my tailor. Men all around the world can look dangerous, just like me, with the help of Jeff Alpaw Customs. JeffAlpaw.com. Use the code DCB10 to save. They handle multiple currencies and ship anywhere you happen to be.